Hi there, it's Elliot. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to squeeze in a quick mention about the Page Learning Lab, our new online learning program for communications professionals. Page and its members are charting the future of the profession, and the lab gives you access to their thinking, the most progressive thinking out there on topics ranging from comtech and journey communications to culture change, stakeholder capitalism, business skills, and DEI. It's tailored learning designed to fit into your busy schedule. For more information, check it out at learning.page.org. In the world of executive coaching, there is perhaps no one more well-known, more respected, or more sought after than Marshall Goldsmith. He is the only person to be named the number one leadership thinker in the world twice at the Thinkers 50 ceremony, and has been named the number one executive coach for the past 10 years in a row by the same organization. His expertise is more valuable for communications professionals today than ever before. As the problems we face require more empathetic and collaborative solutions, there is a greater need for leaders who can rally people and bring out their best. At the 2022 Page Spring Seminar, Marshall sat down with Charlene Wheelis, former Page Chair and CEO of Charlene Wheelis, LLC. Along with invaluable life and family advice, Marshall shared wisdom for leaders as they take the top spot and explain the behaviors, and often the misbehaviors, that can make or break a team. Now, I have to admit, before this session, I expected a bunch of platitudes about business leadership. What I found so compelling was that his advice was more than anything about how to be a better human, which feels like a key prerequisite to the leading of people. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Marshall, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Oh, this is such an honor to have you here. Thank you for here. inviting me. Thank of you for course, me. of course. So I am um, going to just jump right in because I always want to know, what are the top three or four things that great leaders don't do? You know, I wrote a book called What Got You Here Won't Get ah, You There. Very familiar with that. And uh, Peter Drucker, I was very blessed to be on the board of the Peter Drucker Foundation 10 years. So I got ranked number one leadership thinker in the world. My brain's compared to him, 10-year-old. This guy was <laughs> so smart. And he said, we spend a lot of time helping leaders learn what to do. We don't spend enough time helping leaders learn what to stop. So I'll just talk about a couple. Yes. Now, I don't like to talk about abstract theories. I like to involve the audience here. So... We'll see if they've committed any of these sins. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, the first thing in my book was called winning too much. Now, what does that mean? If it's important, we want to win. Meaningful, we want to win. Critical, we want to win. Trivial, we want to win. And not worth it, we want to win anyway. <laughs> winners love winning. Now, the people in the room are winners. My clients are all mega winners. It's hard for winners not to win. Were you ready for case study number one? You want to go to dinner at restaurant X. Your husband, wife, friend, or partner wants to go to dinner at restaurant Y. You have a heated argument. You go to restaurant Y. It was not your choice. The food tastes awful, and the service is terrible. Option A, critique the food. Point out our partner was wrong. This mistake could have been avoided if only you'd listened to me, me, me. Option B, shut up. <laughs> Eat the stupid food. Try to enjoy it and have a nice night. What would I do? What should I do? Almost all my clients, what would I do? Critique the food. What should I do? Shut up. How many people in the room, please raise your hands, have ever critiqued the food before? Hands in the air. 
Yes, a room filled with food critiquers. And now, was that smart or stupid? Stupid. Now, I'm going to give you a second case study. <laughs> you have a hard day at work, such a hard day, under so much pressure, more, 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 problems, problems, problems. You come home. Your husband, wife, friend, or partner is there, and the other person said, I had such a hard day today. I had such a tough day. And if we're not careful, we reply, you had a hard day. You had a hard day. Do you have any idea what I had to put up with today? Do you think you had? I see guilty faces. We're so competitive, we have to prove we are more miserable than the people that we live with. I gave this example to my class at Dartmouth. A young man raised his hand. He said, I did that last week. I asked him, what happened? He said, my wife looked at me and said, honey, you just think you've had a hard day. It is not over. <laughs> so number one is winning too much. And number two, adding too much value. That's very hard for smart, successful people not to add value. I'm young, smart, enthusiastic. You're my boss. I come to you with an idea. You think it's a great idea. Rather than just saying great idea, our natural tendency is to say that's a nice idea. Why don't you add this to it? Well, the problem is the quality of the idea may go up 5%. My commitment to execute just went down 50%. It's not my idea now, boss, it's yours. It's very hard for smart, successful people not to constantly add value. Now, one of my good coaching clients retired a few years ago, J.P. Garnier, was the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline. I said, what did you learn about leadership as the CEO of this company? He said, I've learned a very hard lesson. And all of your CEOs need to understand this lesson. He said, my suggestions become orders. My suggestions become orders. Now, he said, if they're smart, they're orders. If they're stupid, they're orders. If I want them to be orders, they are orders. And if I do not want them to be orders, they're orders anyway. For nine years, I trained admirals in the United States Navy. What is the first thing I always teach the new admirals? When you get that star, your suggestions become orders. Admirals don't make suggestions. When an admiral makes a suggestion, what's the response? Aye, aye. That suggestion is an order. I asked JP, what did you learn from me when I was your executive coach that helped you the most? He said, you taught me one lesson. You helped me be a better leader and have a happier life. I said, what was it? He said, before I speak, breathe. Breathe and ask one question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And he said, as the CEO of this big company, 50% of the time, if I had the discipline to stop and to breathe and just ask, is it worth it? What did I decide? Am I right? Maybe. Is it worth it? No. So one suggestion I have for all of you as communications professionals is this. Just have that CEO stop and breathe before speaking and just ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And that discipline alone can go a long way. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Marshall. And that was a um, great lead in to my next question. And of course, as communicators, we all know and we try to get our leaders to know silence is your friend. Yes. All right. So thank you. Um, our next question is, what should, you've started talking about this, but what should leaders be asking themselves now? You know, the world has changed. You've seen a lot change during your time as an executive coach over mm. decades. Right. What, what, what questions should leaders be asking themselves now, in your opinion? Well, I love that question. So I'm going to give you a totally different answer. Okay. Great. I think one of the questions is, who should leaders be asking a question to? Oh. And the question I would ask is, what can I do to be a better leader? Everyone I coach gets confidential feedback. They all pick important things to improve and they all stand up in front of everybody and say, I got feedback, here's what I learned, here's what we try to do better, please help me. So I always teach that lead by example. 
Now, let's do some more fun with the group. Are you ready? Okay, yep, I'm ready. My fine communications professionals, are we ready? In your fine organization, is customer satisfaction important? Yes. More enthusiasm. Is customer satisfaction important? Yes. Should we ask our customers for their good ideas? Yes. Should we listen to our good customers? Yes. Do you have a husband, wife, or partner at home? Yes. Have you spent a lot of time asking that partner, what can I do to be a better partner in our relationship? <laughs> Well, one of the important things is get in the habit of asking that question, how can I be a better, not only at work, also at home? And it's a question we all understand in theory. Right. When it comes to practice, we just don't do it so much. Thank you. I'm learning here myself. I, I, I think my husband would fall over if I went home and said, what can I do to be a better partner? He'd say, I no, like no, you. By the way, we don't have to do it here, but in my classes, I have people get out their cell phones and send a text to your uh, partner. And the text is, what can I do to be a better partner in our relationship with no explanation? The responses are hilarious. And usually from my wife responses are my favorite. Some of my favorites are, who has stolen my husband's cell phone? <laughs> right. Who is this, right? <laughs> Who is <laughs> Great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a concept that, um, that you have that I, I think is just fantastic. And, and we have um, sheets on the table about it. Feed forward. Talk about feed forward. I love feed forward. This is a very positive, upbeat way to help yourself and other people get better. And in Feed Forward, I'm a Buddhist. Buddha said, only do what I teach if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, it's okay. Just don't do it. Well, Feed Forward, what I teach people is you ask for ideas for improvement, and you listen to people, and you say, thank you. And you treat the idea like a gift. So if someone gives you a gift, you don't say stinky gift or bad gift, or I don't like your stupid gift. Say thank you. And I've taught this to almost everyone I work with, and they just love it. Now, one of my good coaching clients just retired recently, Hubert Jolie. Hubert Jolie did a spectacular job of turning around Best Buy. And is just a poster person for this. He stands up in front of everybody and says, my name is Hubert Jolie. I'm the CEO of Best Buy. Please help me. Here's what I want to improve. I have a coach. I've got feedback. Well, what message does that send to everyone in the company? I'm the CEO, and I'm trying to get better. Guess what? How about you? And the one thing I try to teach leaders is lead by example, don't lead by talk. If you want other people to get better, let them watch you try to get better. Don't preach at them. Don't preach at them. Let them watch you stand up and try to improve. Thank you. Yeah, there's something so positive about feed forward and something so negative about feedback because you can't do anything about it. Can't change right? the past anyway. Exactly. By the way, how many people in the room have been impressed with your husband, wife, or partner's near photographic memory of your previous sins. <laughs> you, can't you can't change it anyway. Uh, Marshall, can I switch gears with you and talk about um, your book? You have a new book coming out, The Earned Life. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the book, why you wrote the book. I know it's about living a life of purpose and fulfillment and no regrets. Right. So uh, talk to us about your book. Yeah, my new book, I talk a lot about life. And it's right. I'm going to just talk about a couple yes, of points sure, from the book. One point is, and I, when I, I thought about you, because you're telling me your story of life. Uh, one of the parts of the book, I talk about three concepts. One concept of the book is called aspiration. And back to our previous talk with the CEO, that's the higher purpose of what am I here for? 
I mean, we're doing all this work for what? What's the higher purpose? And our aspiration doesn't have a finish line. It's big and it goes on. The second is our ambitions. And our ambitions relate to achievement. And that does have a goal or a finish line. And then the third is our day-to-day -day actions. Most human beings in the history of the world have been kind of lost in that day-to-day -day action phase. You know, they're not bad people. They go through life re reacting to what's in front of them. They do what they're told. They go to the movie, they live a life, and they die. The people I coach are not like that. The people in this room are not like that. Most people I work with are really, they have the danger of being addicted to achievement. And they're so focused on achievement that they can get lost. They can get lost. They can forget, why am I achieving? Why am I doing this? And they can also forget to enjoy day-to-day -day life. Half the people I coach are billionaires. And one guy I'm coaching, he's worth $4 billion. So I said, what am I supposed to do? Get you up to $4.1 billion? <laughs> Who cares? He said, you're right. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I just want to have a happier life. So I, I often, in the book, the part that people relate to most is a part about achievement. And one of the guys that I work with is Safi Bacall. He wrote a book called Loon Shots, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And he said, I finally learned that, and he's a scientist. He said, I finally learned that happiness and achievement are independent variables. He used to believe that if I achieved this, I would be happy. Well, how much does he have to achieve? I mean, the guy's already got a PhD in physics from Stanford. He's a genius. He's worth tens of millions of dollars. He's starting companies. He's written New York Times bestselling book. When do you declare victory here? If he hasn't achieved enough to be happy, how much do you have to achieve? And he said, I finally realized that happiness, achievement are independent variables. You can achieve a lot and be happy. You can achieve a lot and be miserable. You can achieve nothing and be happy and you can achieve nothing and be miserable. He said, they're both important and they're both different. Well, I think the great Western disease, which we've all been afflicted with, is I will be happy when. When I get the money, status, BMW, condominium, I will be happy when. And the great Western art form, Shirlene, is one that I think many people in the room may have seen before. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It starts with a person, and the person is sad, Ooh, and they spend money, and they buy a product, and they become happy. This is called a commercial. Have, have, <laughs> have any of you ever seen one of these before? How many millions of times has that message been hammered in your brain? You will be happy when. That's not life. That's not life. And final story that I love in the book mm -hmm. is the marshmallow story. Yeah. Now, the marsh are all of you familiar with the marshmallow research? Well, anyway, they take the kid and they give a kid a marshmallow. And they say to the kid, if you eat the marshmallow, you get one. But if you wait, two. Now, allegedly, they have this longitudinal research, which I'm a little dubious about. This is the kids that wait for two marshmallows all get PhDs from Harvard, and the kids that eat one are all drug addicts. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think they, it, it seemed a little overdone to me. But anyway, the idea behind the book is delayed gratification is good. That's the whole point of the book. What they didn't do is take the kid with two marshmallows and said, hey, kid, wait a little bit more, three Wait some more, kid. Four. Oh, wait some more. Five, ten, a thousand. Where do you end up? An old man waiting to die in a room surrounded by uneaten marshmallows. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to eat the marshmallow. Jack Welch, one of my favorite stories in a book. Jack Welch had triple bypass surgery and he almost died. 
And my co-author in the book is a friend of his. And he said, Jack, what'd you learn about life when you almost died with this triple bypass? You know what he said? Why am I drinking the damn cheap wine? <laughs> Jack Welch has his wine cellar filled with really great expensive wine. Every night he's drinking cheap wine. He's waiting for the wine in the wine cellar to, quote, appreciate and value. This is Jack Welch, right? The guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's waiting for the stupid wine to appreciate and value. He's, I'm insane. What was his one commitment? No more cheap wine. No more cheap wine. Well, sometimes it's, you know, you got to eat the marshmallow. And sometimes you got to drink the wine. Right. Now, oh. you, you, I think, are a good role model of this. <laughs> the Let's hear it for her. <laughs> I think you're a really good role model because to me, you have a higher aspiration. I do. You work to achieve things that are consistent with that aspiration and enjoy the process. Yes, yes, very much so. That's what the whole book is about. Oh, well, then I will especially enjoy reading the book. And, uh, and thank you for that, Marshall, because I really do love what I do. And it's, um, it's your teachings and being a part of your group has really helped me together. So thank you. So, uh, you know, at the, we're in April. This is April. January, everybody's thinking, I'm going to do all the things I can to be a better person right, right. this year. All, whatever my list is. By February, the list is down to half. In March, it's, March all, it's all gone by now. So right now, it's, it's just completely gone. So you gave us a couple of A's, aspiration, ambition. What about accountability? And mm. you have this practice of daily questions. And tell, well, I want you to tell people about daily questions, but I also want you to tell them about how long you've been doing it yep. and why. Well, I'm now going to teach you something that takes three minutes a day. Three minutes a day costs absolutely nothing and will help you get better at almost anything. Many of you are skeptical now. Three minutes a day costs nothing. Help me get better at almost anything. It's ridiculous. It sounds too good to be true. Half the people that start doing this quit within two weeks. And they do not quit because it does not work. They quit because it does work. See, what I'm going to teach you next is incredibly easy to understand. It's incredibly difficult to do. And if you tell me this is easy to do, you proved one thing. You've never done this. This is not easy to do. It is hard to do. Now, how does it work? Get out a spreadsheet. On one column, write down a series of questions that represent what's most important in your life. Friends, family, health, work, whatever it is. Every question has to be answered with a yes, a no, or a number. Yes is recorded as a one, no is a zero, or a number. And then uh, seven boxes across, and at the end of the week, you get a report card. I'm going to warn all of you communications professionals in advance. The report card at the end of the week will not be as beautiful as a corporate values plaque you see stuck up on the wall. See, you gave me that wonderful introduction. <laughs> she, she left something out in my introduction. Now, I have the unique ability to screw something up every day. You, you left that out of the I introduction. I did leave that out. I'm How many of you have impressed yourselves with your ability on a daily basis to screw something up? Yeah, well, <laughs> the problem with this process is you get to look at it every day. And it's not that pretty. It's not that pretty. It's not that grandiose stuff. You look in the mirror. Well, like one of my questions is, how many times yesterday did you try to prove you were right when it was not worth it? I don't see too many zeros on my scorecard. Kind of hard for that old professor not to be right all the time. How many angry or destructive comments did you make about people yesterday? Well, we don't want other people stabbing us in the back. Why do we keep stabbing them in the back? 
well, this stuff is really hard to do. It's not hard to understand. And I've been doing this for years. Now, as you said, I have someone call me every day for almost 25 years to help me. Somebody asked me, do I have a coach? I have someone, I've had someone call me almost every day for 25 years. Somebody said, well, why do you do that? Don't you know the theory about how to change behavior? I wrote the theory about how to change behavior. That's why I have somebody call me every day. My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I'm too cowardly to do any of this stuff by myself. I'm too undisciplined to do any of this stuff by myself. I need help and it's okay. It's okay. Once we get over all that macho, I can do it on my own, willpower, nonsense, we all need help. Who are we kidding? One thing I'm most proud of in my book triggers 27 major CEOs endorsed that book. Why am I so proud of that? 30 years ago, no CEO would have admitted to have a coach. They would have been ashamed or embarrassed to have had a coach. These are 27 people saying, my name is Francis Hesselbein. I won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I need help. Yeah, my name's Alan Mulally. I'm CEO of the United States. I need help. My name's Jim Kim. I'm president of the World Bank. I need help. We all need help. We all need help. And once we get over that silly, macho, willpower nonsense, life is better for everybody. How many in the room, how many of you have one thing you've been putting off for at least 20 years and you keep telling yourself, I'm going to get better at it, and you haven't done it yet? How many of you? Yeah. You really think you're going to do it next week? You're not going to do it. You just need help. It's okay. It's okay. Just admit it. Right. But you didn't tell them about the daily questions. Oh, what it is. Well, and also about the daily questions is, and you've got an article about it in the handouts. It's called Six Questions. I learned this from my daughter, Kelly. And I'm very proud of my daughter, Kelly. My daughter, Kelly, I'm very, Jim, some of you may have seen her. My daughter, Kelly, was uh, graduated from Duke and was on the TV show Survivor Africa. So if she saw the third season of Survivor, I'm Kelly's dad. <laughs> then she went back to school and she got a PhD from Yale, and now she's a full professor at Vanderbilt, so daddy's very proud. So my daughter Kelly taught me this. This is great for those of you interested in employee engagement. So I'm gonna wind around just a little mm -hmm. bit. I, I'm, on the, I'm a fellow of the National Academy of Human Resources. I know some of you are interested in the topic of employee engagement. I went to a presentation on employee engagement and I talked about what do you do to get in? And they had three heads of HR from huge companies. And they said, training programs, empowerment, you know, all stuff I'd heard for 30 years. Then they said, global employee engagement in spite of this is an all time low. I'm thinking, wait a minute, if we know all this stuff and everybody's so smart, why is global employee engagement at an all time low? Then I realized something. 100% of the dialogue and employee engagement was, what can the company do to engage you? And absolutely 0% was, what can you do to engage yourself? This is not an exaggeration. 100% of employee engagement is the company's problem and 0% is the employee's problem. 100%. Well, John Kennedy made a great speech. Remember the inauguration speech? He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Everything on employee engagement is exactly the opposite of the John Kennedy speech. Exactly the opposite. It's 100% the company's problem and you have no responsibility. My daughter Kelly taught me something called active questions, which I love. And by the way, there's an article, it's called Six Questions, it describes this. Active questions all begin with the phrase, did I do my best to? Did I do my best to? Now what's great about that question is you can't blame someone else. Did I do my best to? If you didn't get a high score, whose fault is it? You, you. 
And the six questions we talk about are, did I do my best to set clear goals? Rather than saying, did the company give me clear goals? Did I do my best to set my own goals? Did I do my best to make progress toward achieving my goals? Did I do my best to find meaning? Rather than saying, did the company give me meaning? Did I do my best to create meaning in my own life every day? Did I do my best to be happy? I'll spend some time on that. Did I do my best to be happy? So in my book, Triggers, I talk about three medical doctors I've coached. And obviously, I can use their names. So Jim Kim, simultaneous MD and PhD with honors from Harvard in anthropology, became president of Dartmouth and then went on to be president of the World Bank. Dr. Raj Shaw, head of the United States Agency for International Development at age 37, reported to Hillary Clinton. And John Noseworthy, the CEO of the Mayo Clinic. So when the brains were passed out, they were not at the back of the line. All three asked this question. On the average day, one to 10 scale, what would you score on this one? Did I do my best to be happy? All three had the same answer. It never dawned on me to try to be happy. It never dawned on me to try to be happy. Now, they're all medical doctors. I said, did it dawn on you you're going to die? Did they cover that in medical school? I said, yeah, they <laughs> covered that death thing. I said, do you think this is a silly question? I said, no, it's an important question I forgot to ask. So a good question every day is, am I doing my best to be happy today? Next question, did I do my best to build positive relationships? Rather than just saying, do you have a friend at work? Were you the friend? And finally, did I do my best to be fully engaged? Rather than saying, did the company engage me? What am I doing to engage myself? And our research on this is amazing. But everybody's got the article, so they can, right. read, they can read the research. Great. So uh, let me take it back to um, business. Obviously, we're a room full of um, chief communications officers here. How can the CCOs be a better resource, better advisor, better partner to CEOs today? Well, number one, I think the role of the people in this room is so much more important than it's ever been. Why? You know, there's an old saying, it's lonely at the top. It is lonelier at the top. It is lonelier at the top than it has ever been. Many of your CEOs, and I'm gonna say this, they are afraid. They're afraid to say much of anything. Anything you say can be put on social media, can be blasted out to thousands and thousands of people. Uh, over COVID, I worked with 50 people, 50 incredible people every week. And they went through these six questions talking about their lives. And they have no one to talk to. They loved it, why? One person said, for one hour a week, I get to be a human being. For one hour a week, I can be a human. I mean, they're just like anybody else. They have kids with drug problems and parents with Alzheimer's disease. They get divorces. You know, they're just like the rest of us. And they have no one to talk to. So it's incredibly, incredibly lonely. I think having them have peers they can talk to is just a wonderful thing. And with you in this room, doing this with each other, I think is an incredibly valuable purpose of this organization. Having some people to talk to who are professional peers of yours that don't have an agenda, they're not trying to one-up you, they're not trying to hurt you, it's incredibly valuable. So a lot of my life is just working with groups of very distinguished people, and they practice feed forward. Mm -hmm. They say, here's my biggest problem this week, give me ideas. They get the ideas from all of their peers, they say thank you, then the next person, the next person, the next person. And what they learn is often, you might give me one problem, and I'm giving you my ideas to help you, but it also helps her. Why? Their problems are also quite similar. They're quite similar. Thank you. Uh, I do want to remind our audience, both um, virtual and here in person, that if you have a question, as Candace said, we're going old school, so raise your hand. 
I want to make sure that um, that we get you. Now wait, my friend in Dubai. I just have a home. I bought a home in Dubai. <laughs> I, I'm going to be your neighbor. I'm going to be your neighbor. I'm, I think I met your boss a few times, and so I'm going to be your neighbor. And I bought a home in the Burj Khalifa. You live there? Oh my God! Let's hear it find my new neighbor. Yay! <laughs> So there's a reception later if you all want to catch up. We're... <laughs> Marshall, are there, you know, leadership styles have changed over the years. I think even through my 30-year career, we've seen different leadership styles. What are the styles that are winning now, would you say, that are most effective? Well, you know, I'm not an expert on all elements of leadership. I just work on trying to help successful leaders get better. And there are three characteristics that kind of stand out. One is it takes courage to do all the stuff I teach. It takes courage to look in the mirror. It takes courage to get feedback. It takes courage to be evaluated. Two, it takes humility. Because one thing I've learned in my job is I cannot help perfect people get better. Somebody's perfect, they don't need me. And then three, it takes discipline. And the discipline is the day-to-day -day hard work to do it. I think one of my nice people here knows my friend, Alan Mulally. Alan was a CEO for just an amazing, amazing human being. Well. It's, he's smart, but he's probably not that much smarter than anybody else, but just incredible discipline week after week after week after week. It's not this one-time event for him. Right. So I'm working on a new book with him now. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. What's it about? Give us a... It's, it's about stakeholder-centered leadership, which came up in the conversation. Mm -hmm. and, but how do you make stakeholder-centered leadership real? How do you make it real? As opposed to just some window dressing and mm -hmm. pep talk and all that. Mm -hmm. And Alan is just a... And I mean, I'm very biased. I love the guy. Incredible role model for making stakeholder-centered leadership real. Great. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about purpose and the, the uh, speakers before were talking about purpose. Um, and I think we all strive towards purpose and, and meaning in some way. A, a few years ago, you started something called MG100, MG100 Coaches. Would you tell the audience about that and why you did it, I think, is, is really important. I went to a program that was put on by a wonderful woman named Aisha Bursell. I don't know if you've yes, met Aisha. I, I just I love do. her. And the program, she asked, who are your heroes? So my heroes are very kind and generous people who are nice teachers. People like Frances Hesselbein, Alan Mulally, Jim Kim, Peter Drucker. And they were always so nice to me and they never charged me money. They did it all for free. She said, well, why don't you be more like them? I decided to adopt 15 people, teach them all I know for free. And the only price is when they get old, they have to do the same thing. So I make this little selfie video and put it on LinkedIn. I'm thinking maybe 100 people would apply. I'm a nice old man stumbling through life, and they laugh at my jokes, and they get old and do the same thing. I was wrong. So far, over 18,000 people applied to be adopted. So now I've adopted about 370 people. And just You've met them. Just of course. An amazing she let's hear it fight. Adopt an honorary daughter over here. Yay, honorary <laughs> daughter. Very, very proud to have you as my honorary daughter. Thank you. So now we, we've adopted about 370 people. It's called 100 coaches. And we have rules, though, very strict rules. We do have strict rules, yes. No money. There's no money involved, no guilt, and no expectation. And the idea is you just ask people for help. And if they can help you, they do. And if they can't, it's okay. There's no expectation you have to help them. There's no reciprocity. The only expectation is if someone helps you, you help someone else. So what's your reaction to the organization? Oh, well, I'm loving being a part of 100 Coaches. You know, I'm on my, as many of you know, I'm on my 
new journey of making impact in a different way and being a part of MG100 has been just life-changing, Marshall. Thank you. So you are absolutely meeting your your desired goal Thank you. in starting that. Um, now, you need to be ready to have your own honorary kids. Yes, yes, I will absolutely do that. Absolutely. And I get honorary grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> So we have about five minutes before um, before we finish. And this has been such a delightful conversation. And thank you for letting me take you in a number of different directions. I think when you have someone like Marshall here, you just want to get as much knowledge uh, from him as you can about life and business. And uh, Marshall's always willing to uh, share his wisdom with us. So I just want to give you the last five minutes or so to wrap up with in your own words. Anything you want to share? Okay, everyone look up here. Now, everybody smile. Ah, take a deep breath. Ah, do your hand like this, hand. Ah, ah, ah. Great sight. <laughs> I want you to imagine that you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. You're on a deathbed. Here comes your last breath. Right before you take that breath, you're given a beautiful gift, the ability to go back in time. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person that's listening to me right now. The ability to help that person be a better professional. More important, the ability to help that person have a better life. What advice would the wise 95-year-old you, who knows what really mattered in life and what did not matter and what was important and what was not important, what advice would that wise old person have for the you that's listening to me right now? I don't want you to write anything or say anything. Just answer that question in your mind. What advice would that old person have for you? Whatever you're thinking now, do that. In terms of a performance appraisal, that's the only one that matters. That old person says you did the right thing, you did the right thing. That old person says you made a mistake, you made a mistake. You don't have to impress anybody else. Some friends of mine interviewed old folks who were dying, got to ask this question, what advice would you have? On the personal side, three themes. Theme number one, three words. Be happy now. Not next week, not next month, not next year, not I'll be happy when I get the status, money, BMW achievement, blah, blah, blah. Be happy now. Many of the people in this room, you're among the luckiest people that ever lived. You have friends, you have family, many of you have health compared to me, you have youth. You have interesting jobs. You got it all. Don't get so busy chasing what you do not have that you cannot see all that you do have. A learning point number two is friends and family. Never get so busy climbing that ladder of success you forget the people that love you. That happens too much. And number three, if you have a dream, go for it. Because you don't go for it when you're 40. You may not when you're 50. You probably will not when you're 80. It doesn't have to be a big dream. Maybe a little dream. Go to New Zealand, speak Spanish, play a guitar. Other people think your dream is goofy. Who cares? It's not their dream, it's your dream. It's not their life, it's your life. I had a very embarrassing experience a few years ago. Oh, I, you should share that with us. I was teaching my class and I said, go to New Zealand, speak Spanish. The guy raised his hand, he said, we're in Spain, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Business advice isn't much different. Number one, life is short, have fun. If you cannot have fun as a communications professional, you will not have fun in finance. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is do whatever you can do to help people. 
And then the main reason to help people has nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. The main reason to help people is much deeper. The 95-year-old you will be proud of you because you did. And the 95-year-old you will be disappointed if you do not. If you do not believe this is true, interview any CEO who has retired. I've interviewed very many and ask them a question. Please tell me, what are you proud of? So far, none have told me how big their office was. All they've ever talked about is the people they've helped. And the business advice is also the same. Go for it. Communications is changing. Your roles are changing. Your industries are changing. The world is changing. Do what you think is right. You may not win. At least you tried. Old people, we almost never regret the risk we take and fail. We always regret the risk we fail to take. And finally, it's been my honor to talk to all of you. My hope in life is for, as I've grown older, my level of aspiration has gone down and down and down. My level of impact's going up and up and up. Why? Quit worrying about what I'm not going to change. So my goal in today's session is really simple. Maybe help some of you have a little better life, then hopefully help you help other people have a little better life. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at PAGE.org. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner, without whose support we simply would not be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.